Hey, I'm Ashley. I take my blog posts and I turn them into podcast episodes. I like talking about bootstrapping as a solo founder, so you can expect to hear about my experiences of building with Jack and advice you can take with you on your journey as a bootstrapped solo founder. So today's format is a little bit different. I'm joined by my friend, Chris Armstrong, who's building Nice, which is an app that kind of facilitates creative discussion and feedback around designs, ideas, inspiration, that kind of thing. Do you think I've done a good job describing what it is, Chris? Way better than I would do, yeah. Oh, good. I'm going to write down what you just said and use it. Perfect. Well, I, I've really enjoyed watching Nice develop over the years. And then I selfishly wanted to speak to Chris just to learn a bit more about all of the behind the scenes stuff, like bootstrapping this app and the journey behind that. So I thought, why don't I record this conversation with Chris's permission, of course, and share it on this podcast. So that's the plan. So first of all, hello, Chris. Hiya. You and I go way back, don't we? Yeah, when did we... We met at Build, didn't we? Like, one of the first... First or second Build? I didn't know no, I didn't the go, first one. Yeah, I don't think I went to the first one, so it would be the second one. Um, but years and years and years and years. Um, so, why don't you just start by telling me how things have been going with Nice recently? Because I feel like I've seen you shipping some new features and it just looks like everything's going well. So, yeah, how's it been going? Well, it's nice that that's the impression we're given um yeah things have changed a lot over the last uh six months or so um i guess <clears throat> backtrack a little bit uh we had our fifth birthday in february um so like about five years ago the end of 2013 was any 2012 beginning of 2013 was when i went sort of uh left typecast went freelance and about two months later we put together the very first version of nice which was just like an inspiration search engine aggregator um and it's kind of been well for the first year or so it was like a side project and started to try and make it it was getting good traffic so i thought well let's see if we can make a business out of this and learn more about uh what problem we seem to be tapping into here um and so it's kind of you know over time Basically, until last August, I was the only full-time employee. So it was like a side project for about a year, and then there was about a year of um, me starting to try and make it a business, but also, uh, you know, doing client work, that client services, and so on. So it was about probably about two years, really, two or more years before I could kind of dedicate full-time to it. Um. And then, yeah, since then, it's been so there's been another sort of two or three years of me kind of being the, the sole employee, but also pulling in a team of contractors part-time. Um, and then it was back in September, August, September, um, Emma joined us as our first full-time employee, which was scary as anything. Um, and then, but then bizarrely, once we'd kind of, once I'd, bitten the bullet on that um it became really clear that we needed well we needed a full-time developer as well so um paul joined us in february and you know now we're already talking about 
it's kind of funny how you know it's gone from being a really scary thing to have staff it still kind of is but now it's like we probably need way more or as many as we can afford um so i think that's been the main change over the last six months or so is the uh having to worry about a payroll is kind of a new experience um and the focus that that brings i think has been good for me um that i've started to have to plan ahead a lot more i've started to have to uh well just not just think about myself for a start um in terms of the yeah because it's like went from being and a side project to now having people's livelihood depending on you well, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for reminding me um no no pressure um but yeah exactly and uh, but also you just like, i mean i think i was very guilty of um a lot of time was passing and well so long as it was covering my costs and you know it was kind of okay and no big deal and we weren't really capitalizing on the opportunity that we had but you know we sort of knew what we wanted to do but didn't have to get too real about making it happen because we'd, we'd reached that nice point where it was covering its costs um but we were starting what happened was we were starting to get larger companies like larger customers like sony and um i trying to think well there's a whole host of nice names on the website but um sony was the the one i guess that was really the main catalyst where we're like okay you know we really need to um be able to you know there's there's really great opportunities here for these large companies but we need to be able to provide the kind of support that you know to capitalize on it and to develop these the other features they're going to need and make sure that someone is literally there to answer the phone if something goes wrong so it can't just be me anymore i'd kind of taken it as far as i could yeah on my own. um and even psycho even psychologically i was getting to that point as well i think where i just uh, there was so much more to be done than I could do uh, myself and I really needed a few other brains um, so Emma joining helped a lot I think in terms of like the, the, the first thing I noticed the first change I noticed was that I couldn't change the plan <laughs> you know I, I you know whereas before I could just well plan to do something one week and then the next week kind of nah actually let's do this instead and then hop on this but that's good that it's given you focus yeah it's fantastic because like you, you just you see the fear in their eyes when you're changing the plan all the time you, know, you just you, because that instability is a problem and actually it has continued to a certain extent so like Emma and I, you know, it took a while for us to figure out the best way to work together as well. And that, you know, that involved things like, you know, going from just a part-time team. I mean, for years, we'd sort of figured out the best ways of working in that regard, which is, you know, when you've got, you know, just two days of someone's time a week, um, one of the biggest things you're managing is their headspace. The fact that they're going to be spending the majority of the week working on someone else's mm -hmm. project and then come back to yours and you know how do you get the best out of them and you can't really let you can't really achieve anything that takes more than two days to mm -hmm. do you know and all often you're trying to break things down into daily chunks so you're doing you're working off daily sprints effectively um because if it takes more than two days it slips in you know into the next week and it just it takes way longer than it should um and so we'd, we'd come up with workflows and approaches to that when Emma joined, we we're kind of like, okay, this is probably going to have to change, but we don't know how yet. So let's try doing what we've been doing and see how it goes. Um, 
it kind of we started to get into a good rhythm uh whereby you know we were catching up sort of a couple of times a week we were realizing that we shouldn't work in the office together we've got a nice office here in belfast good big desk we all sit around um it's it's not a good idea for us to all be in the office at one time all all the time i should say um because i tend to talk about things when i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) and so and so i tend to be a massive distraction um because my way of thinking things through if there's another person there is to talk to them about it and so when we're in the office together we tended to spend a lot of time talking and very little time actually gets getting stuff done um and so we found that actually emma working from home a couple of days a week uh was a good was a was a good thing um give her time and space to kind of get things done and you know we started to get into a good rhythm of um her setting up trello boards and you know just like I have been doing with contractors and stuff, you know, we'd have a Trello board and there'd be a lot of columns on the Trello board, but there'd be one priorities column. And that was really the one that she had to focus on, which was, you know, she'd be able to come in and just look at that. And that would be, okay, here's what I need to work on next, um, which is good. And that was, we were getting into a good rhythm with that. The problem was then when we added a third member of the team, which was Paul, and suddenly a lot of my time was being spent with Paul and you're sort of you know when you as the team grows you're wanting to make sure you're getting the most out of them they're working on the right the best things and you know everyone's smart everyone's working hard you just it's just a matter of are we working on the most important things at any one time um and of course you you know you can sit and plan based on okay we're going to work on these things because you sort of you're constantly juggling you know effort versus impact you know, what's the least effort but makes the most impact was you know and that's the low-hanging fruit and kind of work through that stuff and so that was kind of how we were setting our priorities and then you know you'd get new information you start working on something you realize oh it's either more impact more effort than we thought it was or this other thing is going to have more impact and so the equation changes and you want to be as responsive to that as possible and you kind of you're always trying to minimize your um kind of margin of error on that you know so that if you think you know when there's when there's just a team of two uh or let, let's say it's like back when it was just me uh working full-time and i had a contractor two days a week my margin of error in terms of what i thought something could take was kind of half a day i could afford to spend half a day on the wrong thing before i had to recalculate and go actually guys we need to jump on if that's going to take longer than we thought that's going to take more than half a day uh of what we thought it was going to take then we should probably jump onto something else and try and get it over the line um so it tends to be quite frantic but when it's just part-time when you're dealing with part-time freelancers that's kind of okay because they only spend so much time anyway and you have three days a week to kind of be working on other stuff and be figuring out what they need to be working on what we found is that when we got up to three people um i was becoming a massive bottleneck which is ridiculous for three people um but i was finding that i was spending most of my time figuring out what the others should be working on every day and reviewing stuff with them and you know yeah just helping them out and having conversations and meetings with them and then having to spend my evenings working on my stuff and more often than not not getting it done so anything i promised that i would do or i thought i was best suited to do 
um, the design tasks and so on just weren't getting done. And so we actually just yesterday had a big sort of planning day and workshop where we started to you know, take a step back and try to rethink our processes. Um, and a big part of it is kind of going forward is to try and make it more, make all of us more autonomous. You know, there's three of us here. We all know enough to be making good decisions. Stuff shouldn't be having to go through me to be approved. So whether that's on the marketing side, Emma sending out messages, or on the development side, Paul building and shipping features, um, they shouldn't need approval from me to, to ship something. What we need to do better is brief them better at the beginning so that they know what the end goal is and they know when they get there, they can just go ahead and ship it. So how does that feel in terms of like, because I'm not at that point yet. I obviously want to build the business to get to that point that I have people working with me full time. I'm at the point that you were a few years ago where I'm working with freelancers and contractors. So how does that feel to sort of bring people into the business and come to that realization that you're kind of a bottleneck and need to give them more freedom, sort of trust. Does it feel like you're losing control of the business or is it quite a scary thing that happens? I'm kind of excited about it personally. Like it's, I remember at, um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, Brooklyn Beta a couple of years ago. Um, this guy standing up uh, and giving a talk. He used to be like a commander of a nuclear submarine. And he spoke about how he had changed the model in his vessel of, instead of sort of him giving orders and them orders being passed down the line, um, he'd flipped that on his head to where, <clears throat> you know, people passed information up. You know, the, the people who were actually executing on things passed information up on what they were doing um and all he you know it was just a case of then he so he was getting the information passed up on what was happening and it was just he intervened as and when he needed to but it you know people weren't asking for approval they were informing the rest of the team as to what they were going to go ahead and do and the only thing that needed his approval was you know firing a, a missile you know that was something that should be his responsibility everything else you know, people were smart enough to figure out, and what you know. First of all, they ended up being, I think, one of the, you know the most effective team. But also, um, a lot of his his staff ended up going. His crew ended up going on to take leadership positions because they'd kind of um, they'd learned to sell. You know, they'd been doing leadership effectively, um, and I kind of always liked that idea, and I think that. It's a question of, and the way he put it was, it's a question of where making sure the information is in the right place. You know, making the right decisions is about having the right information. And so if you have a top-down um, structure, that implies that the best, you know, the information is all at the top. And that, you know, the person at the top has all the best information and so they should, you know, they're, the, they're best suited to make the decision. Um, when it's you and a, f a couple of freelancers part-time that is the case because the freelancers like i said that you you don't have their headspace for most of the week they're coming in even if you do have them regularly say monday and tuesday or whatever um they're coming in fresh uh, you know every week they're having to figure go again all oh, right what am i working on um getting their head back into it 
you're the one that has spent the week thinking about this business and knowing exactly you know you are best suited to decide okay actually what i need you to do today is this because you can't afford half a day for them to figure out what they need to be working on um which is what it can take if you're coming in fresh um i think as the team grew and this is one of the reasons we realized we needed to move full-time was we needed people's headspace we needed this to be the main thing they're thinking about in their working day and their the working week um to really scale up what we were doing and increasingly you know as the team grows i don't have the headspace to know everything to be able to balance out exactly what everyone should be working on they you know I need to just do a better job of making sure they have the information they need to be making those better decisions themselves. Because otherwise, otherwise this is this is only gonna you know there's no way we're getting to to five people. Never mind thirty. Yeah. Wait. Do you consider like what's your role? What's your title? I I, I always feel icky about CEO. anything but designer. Yeah. I mean, you're not a CEO unless you got like five hundred yeah. people. Um, <laughs> Uh, but founder sometimes I go with I, I don't know owner yeah um, well you sound like, like you sound like a good founder put it that way I was trying to pay you a compliment oh thanks um, I, I don't know like for me the ideal scenario is like the structure as we grow is like I in terms of identity I think of myself as a designer um that's the bit I enjoy. I'm having to do more and more sales, which actually I'm enjoying. But um, what I'd love is that as a business grows, okay, there's three of us now, but I think that those three, can we all represent um, the three core parts of the business, which is design, development, marketing. So as the business grows, I think we should all be growing out our own teams. And ideally, you know, my team is figuring out what the product should be development team is building figuring out how to build it and marketing and sales is figuring out how to sell it um and to me that's if we can get that working and those three units working independently uh, well working autonomously but but very collaboratively then i think we'll be able to do great things yeah well let's just back up a second because i really want to understand um i want to understand if you built nice to scratch your own itch or if it was because you kind of identified a problem in that area that needed solving um it's kind of the very first version of nice was literally built in a week um it was it was a quick idea it was yeah it was kind of to scratch my own itch that's and that's like that's like the search engine side of things um you know the the the, the inspiration search engine aggregator product um which we're now starting to think of as kind of library or search um that that was built the very first version was built in a week basically let you search across dribble and behance i think and then we added design inspiration soon after um i literally did the sketch on a plane from toulouse which is a whole other story um showed it to some friends who thought yeah that could be useful uh had a friend I used to work with at Typecast, Pete Hawkins, who helped me build it, and we shipped it the next month. So I designed it on the Monday, we shipped it the next wow. month. Wow. And put it out on Twitter. And it, well, it was, I always kind of felt like we needed to do that. Otherwise, if we didn't ship it in a week, we wouldn't ship it at all. You know, if we hadn't just got it done, we would never have, it would never have happened. 
Um, and you know, even in that, I, mean, I remember realizing that well this is my baby if i didn't make it happen as much like there's a whole it's all about momentum i think the whole way through businesses it's always about momentum and keeping momentum up and in those early stages when it's just an idea i mean it's so fragile and saying showing something you know, okay making some drawings some mock-ups whatever is one way of making things more tangible and you can show those people and they get excited about it and go yeah that's awesome i'd love to help you with that um but like even at that it becomes like yeah at some stage yeah we'll get around to doing that and i remember in that week i had to like even though pete had kindly offered to help me you know it was only when i actually built something myself you got i actually i think i built the interface and hooked it into behance's api which is ridiculous because i do not know how to do that (laughs) um but i somehow managed to get it working and very basically and like because I had something working or something kind of halfway there, it was a lot easier for Pete to kind of go, oh yeah, that's great, you know, and jump in and fix the bits that I couldn't do. Um, I think that's <clears throat> a lot of ideas when we don't get off the ground because people kind of wait for someone else to, you know, to help them build this thing. Yeah. Rather than do literally doing absolutely everything they can possibly do to bring it forward. And then people tend to jump on and when they see that there's some momentum behind it um then people do jump in and it becomes like this snowball effect but you kind of have to do all you can to get it rolling in the first place i think um but what's interesting too is that we we put it out there thankfully it just seemed to resonate with people Um, what people because like this is the thing when you launched did you know exactly who you were positioning it to or you like did you know who you were building this for or did like a particular audience just flock to it who who was it for initially i mean it was it was scratch my own itch and you're you're building it for your peers you're thinking of your own you know sort of other in this in this case other web and digital designers um and so I remember, like uh, Elliot J. Stocks, um, I remember sh- you know firing him a Twitter DM and kind of going, "Well, does it seem like it might be useful?" And I think I had actually already asked him about it at the mock-up stage, and then he, when we launched it, he put out a tweet, um, and so you know this, when you, that was that was helpful. You know, so there was a couple of people that had you know reasonably good Twitter followings that mentioned it and then so it got a bit of there was a bit of noise in that sense and i kind of got a lot of i think in the first month and we got then you know someone saw that and someone saw that and it kind of it ended up getting mentioned on the next web and that kind of thing so like the first month we got some like a hundred thousand visits um which i'm kind of i kind of look at that now and go man i wish what i could do with that traffic today but um it's so we got a lot of traffic and it was kind of like, oh, there's something to this. So, you know, it was very much just an idea, hey, that maybe this could be cool. And it seemed to work, you know, but like literally, it's not like there was any master plan at all. Um, literally the week before, I was just in a, I was in a phase of just making little side projects and sticking them out. And like the week before, what I'd done was uh, yomama.so. <laughs> which is just like a your yeah yeah which is a your your mother joke generator um which is still i've just checked it's still live yo mama.so um and 
yeah, I mean, it just didn't get the same. It just didn't get the same kind of traffic for some reason. I I don't know why to this day. Um, but it just didn't resonate the same. But like, but the thing is, like at the time, I was literally just as excited about your mama dot so as I was about <laughs> nice. But surely um, you can see that just, nice solved a problem, whereas your mama doesn't. Are you are you suggesting that being able to think of a good your mama joke isn't a problem for some people? <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing, like, yeah, at the time, at, at now and I, yeah, it's absolutely, it's clear that one is a practical solution and the other isn't. I, at the time, no, I literally didn't. Um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things, I think you don't actually know, it's, it's not always clear what's going to resonate with people and so just building stuff and putting it out there is good. But yeah, so you asked about, um, was it scratching your own edge? I think it was more a case of, Yes, to an extent, it was scratching my own itch, but then so was your mom at it, so. Um, but uh, it was when when there was a lot of traffic to it. And, you know, to be honest, I, and I remember thinking at the time, I was like, okay, we're getting a lot of traffic, people are using this, I don't know why. I don't really fully understand why. Um, and so, we, you know, realized that we needed to take some time and actually understand what was good about it, why was it resonating. Um, what was useful about it and so that's that began the process of starting to you know really reach out to people like thankfully when you have that kind of traffic then you can start to reach out to people who are using it um, and try and you know it gives you a, a, a kind of a base to start talking to and better understanding what's behind it um, and so it's been kind of a long process from then to understand what problem we're trying to solve and also well, what problem we're solving and also what problems we're interested in solving and where the crossover is. Um, I think, you know, the search engine side of things, that's to an extent, you know, because now most of my focus is on the boards product, which started out as a, so when we talked to people that were using the search engine, you know, what would you find useful? And I was, you know, initially we did some, because we had traffic, we did some advertising, we got some sponsorship from the likes of MailChimp and uh, Campaign Monitor and so on, which is great. Um, kind of paid for the servers and so on but I never really wanted to build an advertising business because I was, just wasn't interested in that um, I, I always wanted to build I figured if I'm going to try and monetize this then I want it to be something that if I make it better my customers pay me more you know it's, it's there's a direct relationship right there rather than me making it better so that I can then sell eyeballs um, so then it was a question of right, well, what would people pay for? But so, but you, because I remember, I do remember the days when it was that sponsorship model, um, and and now, yeah, now it's would you call it a SaaS app now because it is that monthly subscription. Yeah. Um, yeah. but w at what point yeah. did you transition from advertising to subscription model? When did that happen? I mean, about a year after we launched it, I think we we started to... I don't think we ever were sure that we would stop the advertising thing. It's just that it became more and more hassle to try and sell advertising. So you don't do it anymore? Um, and no. Right. It, frankly, it wasn't working. You know, for it wasn't a good... If you think of it as a product, it wasn't a good product. You know, the the people that were coming to Nice weren't cl coming to click on an ad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the click through rate, the click through it was very low, um, so it wasn't it wasn't a good product. I didn't feel good about selling it. Um, thankfully, you know, we, we were we were supported by the likes of Mailchimp and Campaign Monitor who had a remit to just support 
cool creative things which is great but um when you got down to the brass tacks of right what's the click-through rate and you know ctr and what have you it, it just it wasn't paying mm-hmm. it, so it's not it wasn't it wasn't great um and like i say to, to really make it make sense you'd need to be uh, going out there and selling it and it just yeah it just wasn't a product i was interested in selling yeah um however even before before we realized that it was it was more a case of okay we've got the advertising we don't know how long that's going to last can we you know is there anything people would pay us for like on a monthly basis and that's where you know mood board your collections you know it was sort of there was a natural follow-on that well i'm searching for stuff i'd like to collect it and initially that was all it was it was literally just a way to collect this stuff um and i rem- actually remember that like the very first versions of these things um i think we always had the intention of building in something like you know at the time masonry plug-in or whatever so you could drag things around rearrange your board um but it still had like the search interface at the top and all that kind of thing. It was still very much just a nice collection thing. And I remember almost accidentally, um, as we were building the mood boards, uh, removing the search bar from them and like going, oh, whoa, this this feels like a whole new thing. This feels like an actual, like I've created a, a almost like a document or a web page or something like that and it was like yeah when i removed our interface from it it became this i was like okay this is actually maybe this shouldn't just be you know a sub thing of you know like search but here's the fill you know here's we filtered your search down to the things you've collected you know it's more here's a a separate thing uh, that you've put your items onto um and so we we released the yeah, we built and released the boards feature, the the mood at the time call it mood boards feature, um, just literally just to see kind of as an experiment. You know, would would people even pay us for this thing? And so that was that was twenty fourteen, June twenty fourteen. So about a year and a bit after we'd launched the original thing, um, and yeah, like someone paid us like <laughs> i remember launching it, and you sort of when you're launching it for well, I mean you've no data to go on. And it always bugs me how you know people go, uh, people who haven't launched something like a product yet or haven't launched a company, and they're kind of they're about to start charging, and they're making all these projections around what they're going to make. And it's like, you, how the heck? Where is that number coming from? You're plucking it out of thin air. You have no data to go on whatsoever. Um, you have no idea whether this is going to sell millions or thousands or tens or nothing. Um, which is kind of scary but you don't know until you put it out there how did you feel with that first sale yeah no it was ridiculously awesome i i do i'm trying to i'm trying to remember um well the thing is so we'd set up stripe and stuff and then i think i'd end up doing i'd ended up like doing an all-nighter pretty much to get the launch page working and all that kind of stuff and then we shipped it and so we you know we built up an email list of people that were sort of you know wanted to be informed when it was shipped I hope you were GDPR compliant. I mean, we're probably. Um. It's good enough for me. <laughs> good enough for the EU as well. Um, we were them. Um, it's, 
yes, we built up that list. So we did people come to the site. We had put like a you know coming soon mood boards. Um, let us know, you know, sign up if you're interested, sort of thing. So that we built up a, a list, I think, on Mailchimp or no, no, Campion Monitor, sorry. And then, yes, yeah, so we'd launched by sending out to that list. Um, and then you're just kind of waiting to see. And I think I'm just going to check here in Intercom. I remember, so I so we'd set up Intercom as well as our kind of uh, user customer management thing which we'd used it already on typecast so i knew it was really useful um for kind of managing do you think it's worth the price like because i still keep my expenses super lean and intercom's expensive it's i'm on i'm grandfathered pricing ah. i it's it's for a long time i mean i'm still paying about 300 quid a month on it what and f- yeah it's it it's for a long time it has been one of my biggest expenses i think our server costs are now up and of course staff costs are more than that now but um for a long time it was one of my biggest expenses but i kind of justified it by going well a customer support person is going to cost me more and this is allowing me to you know provide support from my phone for like over a hundred thousand people so it's expensive but just about worth it if if i was doing if i was starting today and having to start on their new pricing i don't think it would be worthwhile I think, especially especially with the number of free users we have, um, I think we'd probably end up looking at something like Drift. Yeah, I think I think Intercom um, are. I, I get the sense they're starting to realise, hey, there's a lot more money over in this lead generation space instead of this customer support space, and we'll, you know, price accordingly. And Drift are kind of going, okay, we'll happily take the business that you don't care about anymore. Yeah. Um, is the sense I get, but I'm I'm just going to check here. Uh, a guy called Mark Johnson was the first one to upgrade. Oh my goodness, and was that for nine dollars? Yeah, kind of like that was no, that was for at the time seven dollars fifty. Oh my goodness! Or it, he may he may have gone for an annual account, which would have been sixty dollars at the time. Do you know like him? Literally, I do now. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like. Uh, a lot of these early customers you end up becoming friends with and then you feel bad about charging them. Well, I feel the same way about with Jack. Like so many customers have, because I'm the only person dealing with support and sales and all the rest of it. And I'm, you know, there's there's some customers that I'm speaking with fairly regularly and you feel like you know them and strike up friendships yep. with them. And yeah, I love that about oh, it. Oh yeah, and I, I feel like a, he's a guy in the states. They've got a cool agency called Motel there. Um, they're, they're a very remote agency, but I think I mean I met up. I've met up with him a couple of times. Got lunch and stuff, and sort of had a catch up now. In terms, of, you do like, especially because I'm selling to people like me, you know, creatives, designers. Um, you do end up building a rapport. Yeah, that's why I think it's so important to start, like, build a product in a space that you enjoy serving that audience. Because you, as you know, you've known me for years. I used to be in landlords insurance, and yeah. landlords don't excite me. But I would very happily sit down and have a coffee every single day with people like you and developers and designers and creative and techie people. So I think that makes a big difference. It depends what what you get your kick out of. Some people literally, it doesn't matter what industry they're in because they get their kicks out of making numbers go up. And that's absolutely fine. And those people, we could do with hiring someone like that probably. Um, I get my kick from seeing what people make with Nice. 
and you know seeing the work they do and and, and that kind of thing and um i don't think i would get the same kind of kick if i was well i don't know if i was selling to chemists yeah maybe maybe i'd be able to get some satisfaction from the fact that they're saving lives and so on if i was selling to i don't know uh something that wasn't healthcare or education you know where there's a worthwhileness to it i don't know if yeah. i if i was selling to a car, a car dealership i don't think i could get as excited. excited about that no totally um so yeah, I just I, I made a note there. I just checked intercom, and yeah, there's a note made four years ago, June tenth, twenty fourteen, at two thirty eight a.m. First paid customer. Two thirty a.m. So he would have bought bought that in his time zone, and then you've woken up the following morning to see you've made a sale. No, no, I was awake. I just pushed the thing live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I was, that was me doing my sort of. I think I think the thing the last thing I did was the launch video. Um, so I was up late kind of editing it and yeah, I guess I'd pushed it out. Had I pushed it out at that time? It's mental. <laughs> I think, I think you, uh, you get to a stage though where you're like, I'm just doing this. I'm just putting it out there and then I'm going to, and so it was kind of, I think I stayed up just making sure nothing fell over and then, um, went to bed. Do you remember what time you went to bed fact, at? I, I, I remember that I fell asleep on the sofa, um, <laughs> I went to bed. I, I mean, yeah, so I didn't go to bed. I fell asleep on the sofa. I think it was soon after. I think it was like 3 or 4 a.m. I think it was more a case of... Um, the Well, the, the fact... Heck, the fact that that had gone through was like, okay, great, Stripe's working, you know? Yeah. Um, and Because you're, you're, you're sort of going, are we getting no sales because something's broken? Are we losing sales? It's like, nope, just no one's buying the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Um and yeah i think i may have sent him a message or you know he may have sent me there probably was an automated message saying thanks and he responded to that and uh, it's probably in intercom if i check um but so i think I, I think i remember having a bit of a conversation with him at the time and then yeah conking out i then like i ended up being sick most of the next day why um, sleep deprivation oh, right. and then that led to a migraine then i ended up like spending half the day uh, vomiting so it ended up actually that we got the thing launched and then it was only like the next evening that i was actually coming to to be able to review what had just happened but you know it was a modest launch we didn't do massively well or anything but we got some sales in you know it was kind of it was it was enough to show there was something going on and the thing is i look back and go what the heck was he paying for <laughs> Like, oh my goodness. You know, when I think back to the state the product was in, what on earth was he paying me for? But he did. <laughs> but I think that that's something that, that all product people can relate to. And I feel the same way um, when I look back. Well, I mean, it, Withjack's been really slow to iterate on, but that's because I'm in the insurance industry, which is one of just the most slow moving industries in the world um but even i look back on my launch like a year and a half ago when i launched with just one product and it was all manual processes and i'm like why did anybody buy insurance from me it's it's so i think that that's a completely normal well, feeling to have yeah yeah you did but 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 i but but because insurance uh, is a pretty manual industry anyway I mean, you're you're the exception to the rule in that you're trying to automate it more and smooth it out more. But you know, 
If I didn't buy it from you, I was going to have to phone someone else. Yeah, I hate phoning people. Yeah, right, you know, and, and I trusted that you understood my business and that you, well, you were creating products for my kind of business. So, that, you know, there was that trust there. And I know you're, you know, trustworthy and so on. So, you know, it was as good as going to anyone else. So, you know, that's that's why I buy it anyway. Yeah, and, and then that guy, did you say his name is Mark, that your very first customer, he would have yeah. had a reason for buying it from you. So it's just in our own heads, we're like, why yeah. are people paying me for this thing? Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's, that's, it's, it's really hard. Even today, it's really hard for us to see yeah. our, the value in our own thing, which is a real problem when it comes to sales. Totally. Um, yeah, but you obviously don't... Uh, so you said that you have over 100,000 users, which I'm presuming a, a huge bulk of them are on the free plan. But how are you actually getting users? Uh, it's, you see, the thing is, it's still organic. So so fast forward to your original question was what, what's been happening in the last few months. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's taken me 40 minutes to answer. Uh, tangent. It, where we're at now is I think we've, over the last few months, and I think it's partly because, you know, with, with Emma and so on, it's forced me to, to focus a lot more. And when Emma started, uh, I sort of briefed her, like, okay, well, our target audiences, we're going to focus our target audiences. We're going to, you know, we've got all these different creators using it. We'd learned a while ago that, because uh, the big problem is, like, with search, for instance, I mean, Pinterest are doing a great job there. If all you need is a way to search for ideas or whatever, Pinterest is great. Um where we're different is in in the board's functionality in terms of being able to present that stuff you know cre easily create um uh, presentations and have discussions around that uh, that content um and as we're learning not just you know stuff you've searched for and find reference content but also just you know even artworks and a assets that you're creating as part of a project um but anyway we we so we we gradually i think Sorry, to backtrack a little bit. We've always had a problem with churn, where uh, people say wonderful thing. You know, you sign up, use a product, love it. Um, initially, yeah, there was a lot of bugginess and a lot of, you know, the, the way the layout engine worked was quite unintuitive and so on. So that caused some can cancellations. But, you know, we've long since fixed those issues, um, written a layout engine from scratch and so on that works the way it should. So those haven't been issues but churn is, is still an issue in terms of individuals signing up saying yeah this is a great product i just don't need it for another six months um and that's when we start to realize oh flip that you know the more sticky customers the folks that stay around tend to be parts of teams they tend to be using it not just for mood boarding which is kind of a you know one part of the process the creative process they're using it to you know actually present work all the way through the pro the creative process, and you know, get this, get feedback on all kinds of things, and they're using it as part of a team. So there's multiple people working on, or the clients being collaborative, whatever. So we started to recognize those aspects and realize that we needed to develop the product to focus in on those people. So it kind of that was the first focusing was right. Okay, all kinds of creatives are using this, um, but we need to focus in on the teams and the collaborative nature of it. And then we started like well. Is it photographers? Is it interior designers? Is it fashion designers? Is it, you know, agencies? You name it. And actually, the, the, those were the four that I mentioned to Emma back when um, 
she started i think you know this is who we're going to start focusing on and then we started really looking into those industries and you start to realize well flip i mean photographers yeah they get a lot of value out of it but they've got no money um interior designers well the interior design industry there's kind of there's commercial and there's residential the money's in commercial but if you get if you're targeting the commercial interior design and then you're talking to architectural firms and they've got a whole load of a whole workflow and processes and software we need to integrate with and we're not really ready to yet uh don't have the resources to yet similar stories for fashion and so on and it's kind of in the last six months we started to realize oh actually the real sweet spot seems to be ad agencies and creative you know creative agencies particularly ad agencies because of the sheer amount of content they need to create every month in the this year might have like what we're realizing is and again this is from uh, just the conversations we've been having with folks that um and going visiting people and sort of find out more about their workflows you realize well the ad industry runs on slide decks um and actually most creative industries do no way that's like and so dated isn't it it was kind of well especially because we're not talking about that those worked fine for when you were standing in front of people walking through things yeah like i'm talking about static images but nowadays you're not having those kind of discussions you're first of all you're not in the same room you're remote and you're um having to you know, you're sending you're you're having those discussions by email or by slack or by skype or whatsapp even um and when you know those are great tools but they're designed for words not pictures so when you need to have visual discussions then you need to resort to using something like you know indesign or keynote or powerpoint or photoshop in some cases um to put together these visual presentations to have a a good discussion around and get the feedback you need or approval you need and those you know those tools just aren't designed for for talking about video or talking about animation or talking about interactive prototypes or whatever it may be or just talking about a thousand images at once as you might be if you're working on a photography project um so that's where we've really started to understand our niche yeah but did you have where to we can really help but are you having to like go to creative agencies and tell them that they have this problem or do you can you just show them what you've built and they're like immediately like yes this solves our problem uh no <laughs> definitely not it's so i've been going i've been doing trips um i learned pretty quickly to get the heck out of belfast um when showing what we were working on to people because you have to you have to be careful it's good to get as much input as possible from people but you have to be careful i guess about you know if, if someone doesn't it's a tricky balance between you know someone not getting your idea and your idea being crap um it's hard to know which is which sometimes but with you know belfast is in general as an industry the creative the creative agencies here aren't they just don't have this problem the, the kind of problem we're solving that, that it's not as intense for them so the way they're doing things and have done it for the past 10 years works just fine so it's not like you know they really need something like this starting to go to london or even dublin actually um and over to the states to new york and so on and showing what we're working on there to to different companies there you start to get a lot better feedback um you know you get people who actually start to see the value in it a lot better um but also it kind of you know i've been doing that for years and it's really only in the last 
six months or so that you start to see people's eyes light up when you show them what you're working on you know like a lot of the time you'd have these presentations and people would be really positive about it but would give you a you'd, you'd leave with a massive to-do list mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah well maybe if it had this or that or the other um and gradually working through those things then we finally and and not even i think you know we were still presenting a lot of the time we were selling a mood boarding tool and that was part of the problem you know, we were going out and we were selling a mood boarding tool, and it just wasn't that valuable a thing. You know, it's it's not a it's not a critical problem for people. So if you walk into an agency and hey, say hey, I've got a mood boarding product here, um, that's not a big problem for them. Realizing that okay, yeah, we've built a mood bo- mood boarding tool, but actually it's basically a mini website builder. And whether by the time you've built a mood boarding tool, you've also built a contact sheet tool or a uh, casting board tool or whatever. And it's really more this generic visual presentation tool. Um, realizing that that's what we're selling and just not even changing the product, but just changing how we talked about it led to just a complete change in the response we were getting. Um, and so like by the time, like last summer, last and I did another trip in December and we just got a completely different kind of response. And it was really just about trying, trying out different stories and experiment with that and both through Skype calls and then going and meeting people and doing demos and so on and just realizing the response changed. And so it's 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 a bit of it's kind of it's trial and error and it's um, learning how to talk about your product and what it does for people. That's a that's a huge thing. But also who you to talk to about um like you know there's there's figuring out the story and there's figuring out the right audience as well for that story. That's kind of and both a bit of trial and error. So I so I've sort of figured this out recently is like learning how to talk about insurance in a way that resonates with my target audience. And like now that I've been in business for a while, we've started to get some claims through. So I can actually I actually have real examples of how useful it would be. And I write about them on with Jack's blog, and one of the things was that the insurance policy helped a developer who was um, sort of having a tough time with a client um, who he was kind of falling victim to scope creep. So sort of having this story about scope creep and how insurance helped the developer fight scope creep. Um, I started getting people linking to that blog post on Twitter saying things like, oh, I wish mm. this insurance existed in the US. And I'm like, it does exist in the US. It's yeah. existed in the US yeah. for hundreds of years, but it's just that nobody's talking about it in the way that yeah. I'm talking about it that resonates with, you know, somebody, a remote web designer who doesn't really know that they're facing these problems or or doesn't know that yeah. insurance can solve these problems that they're having. So I think that's a really big thing is that um, it's, yeah, a big part of it is just down to learning how to talk about it. And we, we still suffer from this a little bit in that, you know, NICE does lots of things, but I mean, it's not someone else's job to figure out how NICE is going to help them. It's my job to be able to t- communicate that well enough. Um, and we've sort of seen in lots of different cases, you know, different products that are actually quite basic, doing a great job of communicating the value to someone because they take a very specific example and they go, here's what you can use us for. And we're looking and going, we but you could use us for that as well but we haven't communicated that value we haven't given that specific story um and so you know it's kind of been a long process of, and i think we're still learning how to do that better because well there's two sides to that as well i think there's getting better at identifying and telling the stories but the second part of it is figuring out how to 
again with the resources that we have for a long time on the development side we've been taking a sort of you know agile approach of you know very iterative you know, shipping stuff fast and you know early and often that kind of thing um and iterating on it and then but then we've also still been taking this kind of big splash approach to marketing which is trying to you know building it all up into one big story and then putting it out there and what you you want to make as big a splash as possible so you keep holding back all these all these things uh, to try and add into the marketing of it so you end up going for a long time without talking to people at all and then you make one big announcement and hope to make as big a splash as possible with that announcement and then you don't talk to people for another six months while you work on the next one um it just doesn't really work with our resources like really you know you need uh it it needs to be a lot more we we don't have the, the resources to follow through on something like that you know we're not dropbox we're not microsoft um so what we're realizing is we need to sort of take a more agile approach to our marketing as well you know bite off smaller chunks um you know, release smaller stories, but lots of them. And so, rather than trying to make a big splash, it's by trying to have waves of kind of stories and marketing. Because um, again, we don't know. Getting back to the thing, if you don't know what's going to resonate with people, so rather than us kind of putting all our eggs in one basket and making big bets, um, make lots and lots of little bets and see which ones pay off, and then start to double down on them. I love that. I feel like this has been really helpful for me to talk to you. I've taken up loads of your time, so I'm just going to ask you one last question, if that's okay. Um, I mean, I actually have loads of questions, but I'll probably just um, invite you back to talk to me in a part two. Um, uh, you know, for, I, I'm a solo founder. You've, you're the solo founder. I'm just kind of curious about, like for me, there are times well, for all of us, it doesn't matter what you're building, be it a SaaS app, be it an insurance business, there are times that it just gets really hard and difficult to deal with things. And I find that as a solo founder, it's just quite emotionally challenging having to navigate those times by myself. And it can be really difficult to pick myself up and get myself out of that funk. Um, so is there anything that you do that helps you get through those moments? Like for me, it's listening to angry music in the gym and throwing some really heavy weights around. Is there anything that you do that helps you get through those moments? <laughs> do you have those moments? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's bits that, I don't know, I, I think I've been very fortunate. I think part of, I mean, we've been, we've been bootstrapping, so things are slow but they're also sustainable. Um, and so I think there's, there's, well, till now, till I've had payroll to cover, you know, when it's just been myself, there hasn't been a ton of pressure, except what I put on myself. Um, when there are big decisions and so on, um, I tend to try and sleep on things, try and take things pretty calmly. I've also got relatively good support network of people that I can chat to and you know get their thoughts on um fortunately my dad's been in business for years and sort of has a lot of advice to offer um but you know it's kind of like my, my dad's actually got a f you know, family business and and kind of the only kid that is doesn't work for it but it kind of works out well because you know sort of we don't we don't but you know i think if i did work there we'd probably be arguing all the time about different things but yep. because i'm not i can just kind of go to him get his get his thoughts on on things but then 
go back over to my only space and and give it my best shot. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, <clears throat> like I say, I think I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people to sort of talk things over with and get thoughts on. And again, I think it's partly trying to take smaller bets on things. You know, not do things until I can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you don't have that pressure of oh my word I'm gonna go bust um, in, a, in a month's time I mean I've been going bust in 12 months time for the past four years but so long as I can keep extending that um, and would you consider you know, investment no no I, for me the, the goal is, has always been freedom yeah and just freedom to kind of work on cool stuff and I don't think I would get that with investment I think I would get a real job with invest with investment and it's it's not like the goal for me is to get rich either but I, at the same time I don't see too many people that have gone and got investment getting rich either they sort of tend to get tends to get watered down somewhat they, they have a really stressful few years and then they either go bust or you know there's maybe some sort of payoff like but it's just I don't see I think investment leads to a lot of other people making a lot of money out of you yeah and maybe eventually someday you getting some um but i honestly feel like bootstrapping is just a lot it's slow and steady but i like is, that i don't know personally it's i, I guess this this the stress of it is figuring out how to be how to handle the slowness of it and the steady you know is getting learning patience to deal with the fact that things take way longer than they should yeah that's what i'm struggling with because every, like insurance is a hot industry right now for investment it seems like every single business that's or startup that's popping up has you know got a good million pounds behind it and i'm sort of taking the complete opposite route but i really like that to be in business you just need to pay your bills that's it yeah it kind of doesn't matter what the rest of them are doing like you just need to be like if you can pay your bills you can do whatever the heck you want yeah i keep saying very freeing yeah totally i keep saying that my goal is to build a remarkable product for a small group of people that excites me um and i think i can do that without investment i think yeah um so yeah just tell us what's next for nice then we've been working on so the next few months we, like i say yesterday we had that planning set we're sort of trying to change the way we're working trying to take a longer view on things and be a bit steadier and less frantic in our development and, and so on and process we're the next few months are going to be about focusing on and on sheer profitability. We, we cash flow wise, we're good for the next twelve months, but half of that is coming from so half of our half of our revenue this year is coming from sort of one main customer, uh, which isn't very secure. So, and it's not recurring next year either. So we've got about twelve months to. Um, you know, get our SaaS standard SaaS revenues up to the point where they're covering that. You know, so the recurring revenue is covering all costs. Um, I mean, it's not the end of the world if we don't make it. I mean, I'm sure we can find some consultancy work, or whatever, to tie the to pay the bills. We're not going, you know, the, but if we're going to make a, a go of this, then that's the first step. So my, my tendency is always to focus too much on product and on making new features and all that kind of stuff and make the product better because that's the bit that excites me. But realis- realistically, you know, we've been making the product better for the past year and our sales aren't significantly higher than they were last year. 
So we need to put a lot more focus into the sales funnel and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so we're going to be getting a lot more hardcore about that. And I think actually having the other two here is going to help with that because we're all going to keep each other right on that. You know, so when I start getting excited about a new feature, you know, they'll be able to say, no, wise up, Chris, we need to focus on <laughs> profitability. Um, at the same time, you know, there are, there's more features and stuff on the funnel and we, we just released like a, a, a templates feature that turns out, again, it's one of those things you kind of throw together as a bit of a wild card and then it turns out it's really useful to people. Um, so for years we've been giving people a blank canvas and kind of going, here, you figure out how this will be useful. Um, and it turns out given some grey boxes that they can click on to add stuff into, makes the world a difference because suddenly people are like oh yeah no i get what i could use this for so giving them a template for uh you know creating a contact sheet or creating an instagram grid or whatever it may be just instantly means people can go oh yeah no i get i get how this will fit into my workflow and it's because we've gone the hard way about it and built an entire engine that you know we now can then create those templates in minutes so we're probably on the content side of things going to be spending a lot of time developing those templates and starting to try and market them to specific to try and tell more specific stories about where nice can be useful in different workflows yeah well i have all of the faith in you i think that you are an amazing founder and i love the product and i um i wish you all the best with it thanks and um, by the way that whole the, what you guys have been doing on the um story side of thing i think is fantastic like the case studies you've been releasing has been great need to do more it, it, like it, you definitely do but it definitely like it, you see it and you go oh that i hadn't thought of that yeah it's hard because um obviously like so i'm i have 260 customers now um but from that That's i've awesome. had yeah it's good it's like actually a business now um but from that i've only had six claims which is great because it means people aren't um you know in stressful emotional situations where they're needing their insurance but it also means that what we can talk about is very limited and but what i what i am going to be doing is um a new video series uh which is going to come out soon and part of that involves sort of going on to the freelance subreddit and taking a lot of the posts on there and actually dissecting them and showing you how insurance could help in those situations um, so yeah, I think it's because this is something insurers haven't been doing is that like mm-hmm. um, most insurers are just trying to be the business insurance provider for every business. And that means that they're trying to yeah. their messaging is trying to appeal to plumbers, estate agents, as well as web designers. Yeah. And that just doesn't work. So web designers are like, I have no idea why insurance, why I'd need to be paying 20 quid a month for insurance. Whereas if I can actually yeah. show them the real situations that they find themselves in regularly and how paying 20 pounds a month can make all those problems go away, then then um, hopefully, yeah. yeah, hopefully more people will buy insurance. Not for, for my sake, not to line my pockets, but for their own sake. Um, so that's the plan. But yes, yeah, it's, it's just been hard I'm doing everything myself. I'm not at that stage yet where I'm, I can bring somebody in. I'm hopefully not too far off bringing somebody in on a part-time basis, but it's really tough juggling yeah. everything by myself. But um, I'll figure it out, and I'm having a great time figuring it out, and that's what's important, isn't it? It's better than a real job. Well, I don't really... I've never done an interview show before, so I have no idea how to do my outro, but I'll just say thanks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for chatting to me for the past hour. <laughs> Cheers. And don't be a stranger. Bye. Bye. Thanks. You can 
find Chris at twitter.com forward slash Armstrong and Nisa N-I-I-C-E dot com. <laughs>